0: Shattered Bonds, a podcast that tells the story of a family's journey to redemption, a family that has been torn apart by secrets, lies, betrayal, and violence, a family that has to confront the past and the present, and find a way to heal and reconnect. It's an exploration of the human condition, of the power of love and forgiveness, of the resilience of the human spirit. It's a podcast that will make you laugh, cry, think, and feel. This is Part 2, Waiting for Takeoff. There was an article in the New York Times recently about a survey given to scientists around the country. In it, they were asked to answer the following question. What do you believe is true, even though you can't prove it? Kenneth Ford, a physicist, wrote, I believe that microbial life exists elsewhere in our galaxy. Roger Shank, a psychologist and computer scientist, said, I do not believe that people are capable of rational thought when it comes to making decisions in their own lives. People believe they are behaving rationally and have thought things out, of course, but when major decisions are made, who to marry, where to live, what career to pursue, people's minds simply cannot cope with the complexity. Scott Henry is an expert on the complexity of life's decisions. He knows these kinds of choices, who to marry, where to live, what career to pursue, are not easy. In his job, he hears a lot of waffling. Scott is a spy, a corporate mole. When you call customer service for any one of a dozen companies, he is the one who monitors the calls. Quality assurance, they call it. Day after day, he sits in a cubicle in Emeryville, California, surrounded by other spies in cubicles. They all wear headsets and listen in real time to the conversations of others. Standing in that room, surrounded by bodies, one hears nothing but the collective breathing of a hundred eavesdroppers. Right now, Scott is at the Oakland airport waiting to board a flight to Portland, Oregon. He's going to see his mother. This is the first stage of his dad's final trip, the four-city tour, like his father's ashes or some kind of rock band. Hello, Portland! Hello, Los Angeles! Hello, Madison Square Garden! That will put to rest his father's physical remains. Scott wants to do this as much as he wants to take an electric drill and bore a hole in his head. He remembers reading an article about people who do that, who drill holes in their heads. The rush of air on their exposed brain tissue is supposed to get them high. He wonders if any of those people ever called customer support while he was listening. If, as they were on hold waiting to speak to a friendly, conscientious salesperson about a faulty microwave they bought online, they revved up the old blackened Decker and set the drill bit to their temples. It wouldn't surprise him. His phone rings. It's his brother, David calling from L.A. Are you there yet? David asks. I'm at the Oakland airport. I'm considering drilling a hole in my head to relieve the pressure. What do you think? He can hear his brother typing at the other end of the line. That's the thing with David. You never have his full attention. I'm supposed to tell you that we have plenty of room if you want to stay here once you reach L.A., David says. Supposed to? Tracy thinks it's the right thing to do, to have the family all together. Is she crazy? That's what I wondered. But of course you can't say that kind of thing out loud. Not to my wife. Scott watches a woman wipe chocolate off a toddler's face. The toddler is the size of one of those yoga balls you roll around on to stretch your back. Outside the window, his plane looks like nothing except a giant, passenger-laden missile. Not for the first time in the last few years, Scott longs for a simpler era. The 1980s or 70s, when terrorism was someone else's problem and hijackings were quaint, semi-civilized political acts, the start of a conversation. He remembers reading a survey of common passengers' responses to hijackings back in the mid-'70s. The answers people gave were straight out of Leave it to Beaver. One, history is being made and I'm part of it. Two, gosh, I wonder what I'll see in Cuba. Three, if they put us in a hotel, will there be any women? Scott hunkers down in his seat. He says, You can have Mom if you want, but I'm staying at a hotel. Something hip and fabulous. I think I've earned that. I think I've earned starlets in bikinis drinking screwdrivers poolside. You're going to put Mom at a hip L.A. hotel? Oh, no. Once we get to L.A., she's your responsibility. In his six years listening to other people's phone calls, Scott has overheard all kinds of dialogue. He once listened slack-jawed as a technical service question from a bored housewife to an internet provider turned into a multi-orgasmic phone sex session. What kind of operating system are you using? Windows 2000. What are you wearing? A camisole, some pedal pushers. Do you know what I'm doing to you right now? I'm fucking you. Oh, God, don't stop. Do you still have that drill handy? His brother asks. Very funny, says Scott. I'm serious. I'll be in Portland for three days, and then we're coming to you. And once we get there, I expect to scrape her off at your house and go to my hotel for a very large drink. Fine. I'd put her up here, but she can't do the stairs, which I told Tracy. But she says, can't you carry her? Like this is what I want to do. Carry my 65-year-old mother up and down the stairs for three days. 63. What? She's 63. Silence. Scott worries he has lost his brother's interest entirely. In fact, David has just gotten an instant message from his second wife in New York, Joy. Miss you. Call me. This is what happens when you don't deal with things head-on, he thinks, deleting it, erasing the trail. When you don't nip problems in the bud. On the other end of the line, Scott hears David crumple up a piece of paper and throw it in the trash. This is how fine-tuned Scott's hearing has become in the last six years. He can tell that the paper is a sheet of eight-and-a-half-by-eleven laser printer paper, not a piece of newspaper. He's like one of those submarine sonar men who can differentiate between thirty kinds of whale farts. Are you there? he asks. Uh, just a second. Okay. What was I saying? The stairs. Right. I'll put her up at the Hotel Bel Air or something swank. She'll hate it. She hates everything. At least we know we're talking about the same mother. A flight attendant comes over the PA to announce the pre-boarding of Scott's flight. He panics. He sees the world now for what it truly is, an uncontrolled assault. How is he ever going to survive the next two weeks? He needs more time, more time to prepare, to get his head together. The flight is too short. Why couldn't his mother live in Boston instead of Portland? Why couldn't she live in Florida? Japan? Scott checks the clock on the wall. Barring an act of God or some kind of mechanical failure, he will be in Portland in two hours, pulling his rental car up to his mother's apartment, a soulless condo in the Pearl District, fumbling in his pockets for change for the meter. Standing by the front door, his suitcase at his feet, he will take a deep breath and pray silently, not to God, he doesn't believe in God, but to some kind of fickle, punishing fate. He will stand there for ten minutes, eyes closed, begging the universe for a break. Just one break. Come on, you owe me. Before ringing her bell. Before beginning the elevator ride that will finally and irrevocably prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that his father is dead. Not just dead, but cremated and stored in a ziplock bag inside a cheap wooden box in his aunt's garage. At the airport, Scott feels the egg of sorrow crack open feels sadness seep down slowly over the crown of his head. Sitting in the terminal, he prays for engine failure, for faulty landing gear, a crucifix-shaped crack in the wing. That's my plane, says Scott. I gotta go. He joins the line, snaking its way slowly on board. He's never been the kind of man who drinks on planes, but right now he's wondering how many beers he can consume before the landing gear descends and he finds himself in Oregon. As if that isn't bad enough, being an organ without a dead father and a clingy, punishing, drunken mother to contend with.